On the block, on demand. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. It's funny how every Syracuse fan has the same reaction to certain things. We welcome you back here on ESPN Radio. What's happening, man? Happy Monday. We're hopping on back after listening in the first hour. We do appreciate that. If you're just getting on the party train, howdy. Welcome. Great to have you here as always. Don't forget that you can listen to this program now live as it happens or on your time. Get the podcast, okay? Subscribe on iTunes or Google Play and you subscribe to ESPN Syracuse. You get this program. You get the Daniel Baldwin Show. Hey, Seth started a new podcast today. So you'll get that in our ESPN Syracuse feed. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, and you can just download them to your smart device, make it smarter, and listen on your time on demand. Now, what I mean by Syracuse fans have the same reaction to certain things, and I've gone through all the topics on this show at, at some point in time, like uh, Jim Beheim should play man-to-man defense, and of course that's no. That's not the right answer. Dumb. Every uh, recruit that they lose, like it's the end of the world, Syracuse basketball is going to cease to exist. And then there's this one, right? So since Tyus Battle came back, and we now know who is in the NBA draft and who is not, I have seen an uptick in national commentators, you know, kind of firing out those preseason lists. And I know it's June 4th, and a lot can happen between here and the start of the season, you know, last year, Torian Thompson just decided, I'm going to go to a different school. Like, weird stuff happens, right? But by and large, you know, as the great Norman Dale said in Hoosiers, that's my team on the floor. We now know what this Syracuse roster looks like for next year, barring somebody they add in a transfer realm or something like that. But you've got a real good sense of what it is. So what you have is all five starters returning from a Sweet 16 team. A Sweet 16 team, by the way, they had MacGyver their way there with barely six healthy bodies. You've got a player in Tyus Battle who, you know, if he goes out and can make that natural improvement from last year to this, will be a first-round NBA draft pick. A player in O'Shea Brissett who's got the world at his feet could really be one of the breakout stars in college basketball next year, has all the talent in the world to do so, and somebody who I think will be a first-round pick next year. Depth at guard, well, you'd want the forward position to be a little deeper in terms of number of bodies, adding, adding pardon me, a Robert Braswell too, O'Shea and Merrick Dolzhai. Barama and Pascal need to be healthy, and now you got the new guys, Jalen Carey added in, Buddy Beheim added in, Elijah Hughes, who slides over from a transfer position right, who could play both guard and forward. There's a lot of reasons to feel good about this team and to up the ante and the expectations on this team. But when I tell you that, and I'm just going to go through a few different publications and a few different people that I've seen in recent days, that the big lead with Jason McIntyre, if you're not familiar with that site, you should read that site. It's terrific. And Jason is a big college hoops guy. Places Syracuse at number seven in his preseason poll with the information that Tyus Battle will be a part of that roster. When I tell you that Andy Katz updates his preseason top 25 and puts Syracuse at number 13 in his preseason poll, Gary Parrish, who is one of the best at doing this, 
does a daily poll during the season, the top 25 and one. He calls out AP voters. He calls it poll attacks, which if you're an AP poll voter in basketball, which thankfully I am not, just for football, I get called out enough as a football voter from angry you know, fans of their teams. How dare you put this team over that team and you know, a poll. It's a poll. It's a thermometer. It could change next week. It's just a representation of where I think your team is right now. Gary Parrish does it as well as anybody. He's got Syracuse at number 22. So wide range of expectations there. People are trying to figure out just what that news is with Tyus Battle coming back and what that means for this team. But they're moving up all these polls. If you believe Syracuse is a top 10 team, a top 15 team, a top 25 team, I think if you are doing a poll worth its salt, and preseason polls are not exactly you know the measure of some sort of credibility, but if you're going to do one and you're going to put it out there, I think you kind of have to have Syracuse in there. I think five starters back from a Sweet 16 team, adding Jalen Carey, Robert Braswell, Buddy Beheim, all things considered, that's a team that's got to be in a preseason top 25. I'm not going to tell you where they have to be other than they've got to be on the list because I just gave you a wide range, right? And I've seen other ones. ESPN had Syracuse at 16. And you can kind of – I've seen a bunch more. I don't want to just read them all off here. But, you know, seven's the highest I've seen. 22 is the lowest I've seen. So where you feel that is appropriate, they should be. So what's the thought you're having now? What's the reaction that you get? And I'm not saying it's the right reaction, but I kind of understand where you're coming from. It is a widely held belief, and there is some evidence to this, that Syracuse teams that come in with high expectations don't live up to those expectations for whatever reason. They weren't as talented as we thought. There's an injury like that 2010 team that became number one in the country and was just cruising its way to a Final Four A.O. gets hurt. 2012 team made the Elite Eight. And we were talking about refs last hour. I will I will go to my grave believing that officiating cost Syracuse that Final Four because it was so abysmal in that Ohio State game. So that was their fault. It wasn't a team that had high expectations that didn't get to where they needed to be. They ran into a horrible officiating crew that night. But you know where I'm getting at here. 96, go back even further, 87 was a really talented team, had a lot of talented players, but coming off of Pearl going to the NBA a year earlier than people thought, maybe you didn't have Final Four as your expectation that year. 96, Cuse's in the house team. If you had that team going to the Final Four, almost at any point through the season, I would have looked at you funny, and most people would have looked at you funny. They made a great run and exhibited what senior leadership with Wallace and Lazara Sims and just the right mix of zone defense executing. They had hit a couple buzzer beaters along the way to get there. I mean, that was a magical team that did magical things. 2003, I, it is still interesting to see people's reaction when they learned that team wasn't ranked in the preseason. We very quickly discovered how good one Carmelo Anthony was, and then they moved up the pole. And But even that team was a four seed, right? The, that team didn't come in, you know, top seed number one. Carmelo's the best player in the country, lookout world. They were good, but didn't have that weight of high expectations, I wouldn't think. But 
knowing how good Carmelo was, you know, you quickly soon discovered how capable they were were of being great. 2013 Final Four team, unexpected. Certainly 2016, unexpected. So the old adages, and, you know, I'm sure we've written about this, and if we haven't, we should. And I'm not sure what you measure it by, if it's preseason pull or whatever that may be. But the adage is that the teams that come in with high expectations fall short, and the teams that are under the radar are the teams that are more successful. The teams that build their way up and, you know, come out of nowhere is not the right way to phrase it because it's Syracuse and they're always on the radar screen. But I should do a poll on this. And and people are, are talking about this on Twitter. But I, I feel pretty confident that if I could measure this in some way, and, and like I said, maybe I'll do a poll just to kind of see how people react to it. As strange as this sounds, I think most people would rather Syracuse be good but kind of off the radar and build their way up as opposed to coming in with high expectations. And I know that sounds really strange, but tell me I'm wrong on this. There is a belief out there. That all those Bayheim teams that are off the radar screen, man, they're the ones that do better. And I think when you have a lot of talent coming and you have high expectations, there's a lot of teams that don't meet those expectations. Short of like those Duke or Kentucky teams that are just so loaded, you know they're winning Final Fours. Teams that have a bunch of four- and five-star prospects year in and year out, the talent oozing out, the one-and-done players, you know, all it takes is one bad game in the tournament, and you did not live up to that, you know, draw the line in the sand, you've got to go to the Final Four or bust expectation. That's not this team. But what I'm seeing is an uptick in those expectations that are going to create a narrative that Syracuse, you know, what's the line? I mean, they made the Sweet 16 last year. But last year's last year, this year's this year. It's a whole different set of circumstances. What kind of bracket do you have? And, you know, every recipe is different for every team. But you can't get around the fact that, well, listen, you've got experience. You've got two potential first-round talents, maybe a third if Jalen Carey turns into one. I don't think he'd be one and done. But you've got a lot of talent. You've got a lot of experience. You still have one of the tallest teams in college basketball, one of the longest teams in college basketball, which is important. You still have a tough non-conference schedule. You still have an ACC slate to get to. But, you know, I think Syracuse has really mastered that art the past couple of years. Knowing how to manage the new quadrant system, the RPI, balancing, you know, a schedule that's tough, competitive, but it's not, you know, killing you in the non-conference. They've kind of figured out how to play this game. I think if you want to use the Goldilocks test, that this is a team that's just right. This is where Syracuse should be. Syracuse basketball should be in a preseason top 25. They should be expected to do things in the tournament. Draw that line wherever you want, Sweet 16, right? But they're not top-level, three or four, one-and-done, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina good. This, to me, is right where they should be. So take a look around. Look at the rankings because you're going to find Syracuse there and you're going to find Syracuse ranked higher there than they were prior. And that's only going to grow, I think, as we kind of settle in and 
you know, by the time we get to the fall and the, the real, <laughs> again, I just laugh as I say this, but the quote-unquote real preseason rankings come out, hype's not the right word, but expectation, I think, is going to build for this team. That's what Tyus Battle coming back does. Had he not, it would have been the traditional, oh, boy, I'll tell you what, Tyus may not be there, but that's a team that's going to be under the radar. you got to watch those guys kind of team. Well, they're, they're squarely on the radar. Four three seven seventy six forty four. We can certainly discuss this more as we continue. The text line is two eight eight zero six four four. By the way, correction: uh, two thousand three team was a three seed. Pardon me on that. That was a three seed in two thousand three. My mistake on that. But still, you know, even even as a three seed, were you? Ex- I think we were expecting that team to go deep. They didn't even get into the poll until later in the year, and, and they got better as they went. But I don't think the world was really introduced to Carmelo that year until they got into the tournament. Everybody's like, wow, who is this guy? So on that note, we'll break. We're going to change gears. Still talk basketball, but shift gears to the NBA. Our buddy Nick Friedle from ESPN. He's a Syracuse guy. He's covering the NBA. Uh, the only drama left in the NBA Finals. What is it? We shall discuss next. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Well, that it is, my friends. On the Blocks, presented by Burdick Toyota. It's great to have you here. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. A little cooler today, a little cooler tomorrow. We've seen these raging summer temperatures in recent days. So let's warm it up, shall we? Hit me with that fancy open. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hurt. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for Hot Takes on the Block. When you are no hit over the weekend, and that's the second worst thing that happens to you, you know you had an interesting weekend. So the uh, Syracuse Chiefs, as you know, uh, have fireworks a lot, which, by the way, to their credit, have fireworks a lot. It's pretty much every Friday or Saturday home game, right? They have fireworks. Great. In minor league baseball, and you do everything you can to get people to come out to the ballpark. We were just talking about baseball and pace of play and the things you have to do to kind of get around that, right? Well, having a fireworks display when it's not the 4th of July or an odd time will keep people around, keep the kids around, right? And then you can show them baseball and experience baseball. And it's a great old hook. Everybody loves fireworks, right? Well, things got a little out of hand at the Chiefs game over the weekend. Now, let us say a great job by the uh, fire department that was there. Great job by the Chiefs to keep everybody calm. This is the thing. We've got it handled here. But when you you go to the ballpark and you're hanging at a fireworks display, you don't really expect to hear this uh, afterwards. Your fellow citizens in the parking lot will get you out safe and 
Not what you want to hear when you're leaving a baseball game. And, you know, I, as many of you know, I did PA over there for four years, and there was this little announcement that was hanging on the wall. And it was basically the keep calm, everybody exit the stadium in case something like that happened announcement. So the fact that Jason Smorrell had to grab that and read it, better him than me, and good job by him. Again, keep everybody calm. But we've got video of this up on Syracuse.com. Like, this is a fire. This isn't like a little... You know, a little spark got lit and somebody could stamp it out with their foot. This is a fire, like a fire in center field that I don't know what caught on fire out there. And again, it was contained and put out quickly and, you know, it didn't get worse, which is the good news here. But you don't want to go viral for these things. You don't want to be discussed for these things. But when you do fireworks as often as you do, this is what can happen. All it takes is one spark or one thing goes astray and... You get a video where you got the general manager of the team. That's hot. Basically pulling a Leslie Nielsen from, you know, Naked Gun. Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. No, Jason did not do that. He said, yes, there." he did the opposite of that, actually. Yes, there is a fire out there. It's okay. The fire department's here. Everybody just exit gracefully. And thankfully, everybody did, and nobody got hurt. But it's like, they got no hit over the weekend. That should be the worst thing that happened to them. So, you know, that's why you t- at one time, right? Nine out of ten times, everything goes fine. The fire officials and the people that are there are just kind of chilling, watching the show. But here's the one time, oh, we actually have to go put out a fire. I mean, how do we not put that in hot takes, an actual hot take at the ballpark over the weekend? By the way, uh, interesting stat, which just doesn't mean anything, but, you know, seeing that they got no hit again. They're the most no-hit team in the history of the I.L., which, again, is like a useless stat. Like it's like a donut. It's an empty calorie. Forget about it in like 10 minutes, but that they are. Okay, what else do we have here for hot takes? I, I have this. I have – I don't really have a take on this. I just like to play John Sterling home run calls when we get them, and uh, I'll, I'll just – just just hit play. And the bit swung on and hit in the air to left center and deep. A long run for everyone. It lands. Gah! It went out in deep left center. That might be the longest home run Austin Romine has ever hit. A three-run blast to deep left center. Romy, my homie, he drills a three-run home run. And the Yankees take a 7-1 lead. I feel like we're getting to the point where we need some sort of scale. We need some sort of rating system for the John Sterling home run calls. That's nowhere near as good as the one we played, what was that, last week, Seth, or two weeks ago, when he just got everything he could get in like a 10-second home run call. That was classic. That's pretty good, though. I didn't see that coming from John Sterling. I mean... You know it's going to be a rhyme. You know it's going to be a short expression that you remember that he may go back to. But I don't know if I would go with Romy is my homie from John Stewart. Has ever hit a three-run blast to deep left center. Romy, my homie, he drills a three-run home run, and the Yankees take a 7-1 lead. I feel like we need to come up with some sort of system to rate these things. That's hot. You know, we could just do a simple star system, but we, we you know, We'll have to come up with like a John Sterling-ism to rate these. Because that's pretty good. It's not as good as the one we played a couple weeks ago. But that one's up there. That's that's I, I don't even know if that's top 10 because Sterling's had some beauties in the day. But that is a solid, solid home run. Romy is my homie. Fantastic. 
Have you heard of, and uh, at the risk of, uh, as I like to say, anytime the worldwide leader comes up in these segments, at the risk of getting electric shocks from Bristol, speaking of the Yankees, this is fascinating. At least it is to me. So, if you haven't heard, the Yankees are threatening to boycott ESPN. Why would they do such a thing? Well, here's why. So the Yankees on Thursday night rained out. That was rescheduled as part of a doubleheader coming up July 9th in Baltimore. So it was announced over the weekend that the Yankees-Blue Jays game in Toronto July 8th would be moved to Sunday night baseball. So the problem with that is you're playing a Sunday night game in Toronto. You then have to fly to Baltimore to play a doubleheader on July 9th. The players approved the doubleheader before they knew about the move to Sunday night baseball the night before. So if that schedule holds, and they are you know raising bloody hell so it doesn't, but if that held, the Yankees would play three games in two countries in 24 hours. It doesn't sound like a lot, and it's not like the Yankees are flying southwest. You know, they've got chartered flights here. That being said, you got to leave Toronto late at night, go through customs, do that whole thing. You're getting into Baltimore probably 4 or 5 in the morning. You're getting a few hours sleep, and you got to roll out and play two games in Baltimore. So Yankees president Randy Levine is in discussions with Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball. It seems they're going to have a compromise to this. And I think most people would say, ah, suck it up. You're a professional athlete. It's just baseball. Who cares? Three games in two days. You're just standing around scratching yourself the whole time. But most rational people would know that's not a good thing. If I'm a paying customer in Baltimore at that doubleheader, I don't want the equivalent of a spring training split squad game, right? I want it as best as you can guarantee me two baseball teams that are at the very least coming in the best that they can play that day. This is unfair. And I get why the Yankees are upset, but they knew that if they just kind of complained about it, maybe nothing would happen. So they had to take it to the next level. There were threats, according to several reports, Daily News, the uh, New York Post, that the Yankees would threaten not to talk to ESPN and offer no cooperation on that Sunday night game. Now remember, Sunday night baseball games, they're big productions. This is ESPN's big to-do of the week. Aaron Boone used to be the manager, or is the manager of the Yankees, pardon me, used to be the lead analyst on Sunday Night Baseball. He has a great relationship with ESPN, so we think. The star that night would not be the Toronto Blue Jays. The Yankees have ESPN here, and I think this will get changed for that. If the Yankees refuse to talk to ESPN, what are you gonna how are you gonna feature that game that night? The reason you moved that game and wanted that game on Sunday Night Baseball is the Yankees. It's not the Blue Jays. You can do all the features and all the backstories and all the interviews and try and make the Toronto Blue Jays as interesting as you want. The Yankees are the show. It's A-Rod who took over for Boone. It's that team. That's right around, as mentioned, when the All-Star game is coming out, which uh, several New York Yankees will be a part of. The Yankees figure out their leverage, and they're using it here. And i got to tell you, it's pretty smart. It's a rare circumstance. If you get teams that just start threatening not to do this because they just don't feel like playing on Sunday night baseball, yeah, good luck with that. But this is a unique circumstance. And this is them saying, you want us to play three games in 24 hours in two different countries. And I get that Baltimore to Toronto, it's not like you're flying to Sydney. 
right? And they're chartered flights for Major League Baseball teams. But that's a little much. So I don't, uh, you know what? I'll pull it up while we're yakking about it here. I do not have the schedule in front of me for, let's, let's pull that up now. Okay, so this is Sunday, July 8th. And they moved that game. I'm just going to go through the Major League Baseball schedule here. And you find me a better game that Sunday Night Baseball could feature than the Yankees at Toronto. The Yankees are, are going to be on Sunday Night Baseball a lot. And by the way, that whole All-Star game thing, the All-Star selection show is before Sunday Night Baseball. So the whole thing about how it would kind of you know, lead into that isn't even true. Could they move up the time of the game? I mean, they're exploring some options here, but... I think the Yankees dropped the hammer of leverage that they have and will work. So here's what else you have. You have the Dodgers at the Angels, so you got you know a great interleague series there. Oakland at Cleveland, Texas at Detroit, Tampa Bay at New York. I mean, who doesn't want to see the Rays and the Mets on a Sunday night? Miami at Washington, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. It's another, you know, cross um not an interleague game, but you know, Philly, Pittsburgh, Philly or the uh, Pennsylvania connection there. Atlanta at Milwaukee. You know, Atlanta's, the, you know, the baby Braves turning into one of the better stories in baseball this year. Baltimore at Minnesota, Chicago at Houston. Always an option to put the, I don't know what their schedule is the day after, but Houston Astros are always a draw, as they were last night. Boston at Kansas City, Cincinnati at the Cubs, St. Louis at San Francisco, Colorado at Seattle. Seattle, certainly a lot about them. They're a first-place baseball team right now. San Diego, Arizona, New York at Toronto. There's not a lot of sexy games in there, so I get why ESPN said, I'll just put the Yankees back in there because there's not a lot of matchups there that really grab you. You always want that Sunday night game to be, if I'm just a casual sports fan flipping around, will I stop and watch that game? Seattle-Milwaukee was a game that I just went through. That's two first-place baseball teams. If you're going to go with something, or I'm, I'm wrong. That's not even Seattle. That's Atlanta at Milwaukee. But that's another one that's got two you know, teams that are either in first place or battling for first place. And I don't want to bore you here and go through their schedules and what it would do to them, but to play three games in two days, the initial reaction from a lot of people is, suck it up, Buttercup, you're a professional athlete, and it's baseball. You're not playing three basketball games in two days or three football games in two days. But I just... Not to compliment the Yankees here, but I like that they kind of recognize what their leverage is. They figured out what could get this to move. And now baseball is trying to, we began this segment with a fire, we'll end with another fire. They're trying to put a fire out here because they don't want to give other teams ideas and they want to come up with a compromise that's fair. You know, the Players Association is going to jump all over this. So we'll see what happens. That would be pretty awkward if they did Sunday night baseball with the New York Yankees and didn't get to talk to the New York Yankees. On that note, we'll break. Seth Goldberg coming up top of the hour. We'll give you an update. The expectations for Syracuse basketball are rising with Tyus Battle back. Are you good with that, or are you one of the Syracuse fans that believes in a widely held theory, which I'll get into coming up? Nick Friedel from ESPN will talk some NBA finals with us. We'll go on the blind side coming up next hour. A lot to do. Hang in there. Thank you. Bye-bye.